Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. your tummy in even if you've got period bloat even if you're self-conscious of your tummy please stop sucking your tummy in because your pelvic floor will thank you for not sending all this pressure down by being constantly sucked in hi all welcome back to baby steps a special run of podcasts from welfare that's shining a light on the marathon of motherhood and what that means for our running routines Today we're talking about leaking, sprinting for the loo, heaviness, pressure and constantly checking the crotch of our leggings for wet patches and why if this has become the norm it doesn't have to be the norm. It's thought that up to 30% of UK women are affected by pelvic floor problems with some experts calling it a silent epidemic and it's not just a mother's or mum-to-be's problem although pregnancy does bring its own set of strains. To talk about why runners of all ages and life stages should be training their pelvic floor as much as any other muscle on their workout plan, I've recruited the team at Yumi Health for this show. However, do know this show is not a replacement for expert and medical advice. If you're worried about your health, whether that's physical or mental, please do seek in-person help and support. Right, let's welcome the team. According to Amal, Helen and Elizabeth, for too long, female pelvic health has been hushed up, misunderstood, treated as taboo or laughed off. But not anymore. This week's experts are going to get to the bottom of pelvic floor issues so you guys can run well, not just to the nearest loo. Amal, Helen and Elizabeth, welcome to Baby Steps from Welfare. Oh, it's nice to be here. Thank you so much for having us. Well done, Amy. Thank you for pulling us together. (laughs) listeners just to let you know we are recording remotely and Helen's over in Dublin and there's a few of us in and around London and Hampshire and so if there are any kind of drops in sound that is the good old internet or if there are small children in the background um, that's life as working mums or you might hear DPD going at my front door because I am a little bit addicted to internet shopping so just bear with us so (laughs) Ladies, you guys have come together to create the world's first free pelvic health platform. How did that all happen? Because it is such a niche. Oh, this is a story we love telling. I think actually, Elizabeth, you're always good at telling this story. I like the way you tell it. Can can I pass this to you? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I started to get really interested in pelvic health after I had my second baby. I've got three kids now, but after my second baby, I was in a different career and I had sort of got back to fitness. 18 months after I'd had him, I was in a mainstream gym doing a circuits class and on the skipping rope station of the circuits class, it was the first time that I jumped rope since having a baby. I was 18 months post. I wet myself and it was 
utterly mortifying and I had no idea what had happened or why. And that kind of ignited my interest in pelvic health. But really an understanding of how little this stuff was talked about. Through my rehab journey, I met Amal on Instagram. She had recently had her first baby and she was sharing some stuff around her rehab journey We teamed up to form a group called Pelvic Floor Patrol. We wanted to raise awareness amongst women of pelvic health and sort of campaign for change. The interest and engagement that that group got really, really quickly blew our minds a little bit. In the meantime, I was seeing Helen both as my physio, but also as someone to kind of cross-refer clients to, me as a fitness coach and her as the physio. So I kind of got the three of us together and we just kind of said, let's do something about this. Let's get this information mainstream. You know, people are going to antenatal classes. Hypnobirthing is done now. Why can't we get this information to people everywhere? And so that kind of got us talking about how we could do it. And Umi was born. What's amazing is you've all obviously got such different backgrounds and you work in such different areas. However, you all still felt that pelvic floor health wasn't being spoken about enough. So Amal, you're in the medical field. Elizabeth, you work with clients on a day-to-day basis doing fitness. And obviously, Helen, you are a, a pelvic floor physiotherapist. There's three big jobs there however yet on the day-to-day there's women like myself who aren't still getting the information yeah and this is it really because well I've been a physio in pelvic floor for about 12 or 13 years now and the amount of women that I would see who just are always saying oh why did I not know that before and Mm. it would be you know the most basic information that we felt that women just really deserve to know and so that was a big driving factor as well, actually, because it's only really been in recent years that women are being a bit more proactive and coming in to get checked before symptoms arise. So we want we want to help those women as well. We want to help women who are proactive to not develop symptoms, as well as helping the women who have symptoms to then become symptom free. I definitely only thought about my pelvic floor in the start of my pregnancy, and I was going for runs and out of nowhere. I mean, I'm, I'm quite fit. I've been very diligent with my strength training over the years and my recovery and and training right in my running however I got pregnant and by about 14-15 weeks I could no longer run for more than a kilometer without needing to dart into a bush and go for a wee but I did that for a good couple of weeks without even considering what was going on it just became the norm and then suddenly I was like actually I really need to figure out what's going on and that's when I started to do some research into the pelvic floor but I can't be the only woman that doesn't know what the pelvic floor is so can we start by just talking about exactly what it is and where it is on the body and what its function is. Okay so well like the name tells us the pelvic floor is at the bottom of the pelvis so the pelvis being like the big bones that we sit on. If you were to chop your body through the middle and kind of look down and in, you would see like a kind of hammock type shape muscle. And the pelvic floor muscle is predominantly internal muscle. That's where kind of most of the oomph comes from. Although there is a smaller layer externally for sexual function mainly. But looking more at the deeper, bigger part of it, 
it basically wraps around the urethra, the vagina and the back passage. And because of its attachments to the front and the back of the pelvis, it also kind of just helps support the organs and keeps them in place. And it also offers a little bit of support to the pelvic joints. So we have the pubic joint at the front and the two sacroiliac joints at the back. And in order to activate our pelvic floor, ordinarily, we don't even think about it. So the pelvic floor muscles should be working just a little bit all the time anyway. Otherwise, we would just all be leaking all the time. So the pelvic floor is always a bit active without us knowing. But to strengthen it, we have to then consciously practice activating it. To do that, all you have to do is imagine that you're stopping wind. So even if somebody, for example, has trouble with bladder control, then gone are the days where you think about stopping the stream of urine. Like sometimes that can help, but actually what I see most in clinic and what the research is backing is that if you really focus on the rectum or the back passage and get a tightening and a lift sensation there, then that gives you then the most effective pelvic floor squeeze or Kegel, it's also called. It's got about a million different names. (laughs) I was really surprised to learn through watching the amazing video content you guys have put together on your platform that the pelvic floor forms part of the core. But yet for years and years and years, I've worked within the industry and there is so much core information out there, but it's it's never in that information. Elizabeth, you're obviously, you're a fitness coach and you help women either before or after birth, strengthening their bodies. Why is it still missing from that conversation within the fitness world? Do you know what? I think about this all the time and it has to be about where those muscles are on a woman's body. It's considered taboo. Mm. It's it's really peculiar because like you, Amy, when I was sort of working out in my 20s, all of the reference in fitness classes to core was really about abs, you know, engage your core, abs in and tight. And actually, when you start learning more broadly about pelvic floor and how that is sort of key to core strength and how the core needs to be flexible, actually holding your abs in and tight might not be the best thing for your pelvic floor. And pelvic floor is part of the core. The pelvic floor muscles need to be able to go on an excursion. They need to move. They need to bounce. And so this cue we've been historically given as exercising women, core in and tight, abs in and tight, has potentially been doing us a bit of a disservice. Do you think that's because for many years, generally in gyms, it was male PTs um, and it was only really the rise of like, say, exercise classes that I feel opened up the industry more to women? Yeah, I do think there's definitely an element of that. And I, I just think that there's this lingering taboo that people aren't quite sure about speaking about or asking questions about that area of their body. So, you know, just going back to that circuits class where I leaked, had I sort of jumped that rope and landed awkwardly and felt some discomfort in my ankle, I probably would quite confidently have said to the instructor, oh, I'm not sure what I've just done there, but I'm experiencing something that I don't think is quite right. With the leaking, I was experiencing something that I knew wasn't right, but I felt way too embarrassed to ask for any help. And what I actually did was I dashed out to the loo between rounds, 
check to see if anybody was going to be able to see the kind of urine stain through my leggings and then went and did another two rounds of the circuit like you know and if I was feeling like that there must be thousands of other women going through a similar kind of mental gymnastics and physical experience. Amal, in the medical world, obviously, we do go to the doctor when something is wrong. However, I feel that a lot of women put it off up until that point. Do you have any opinions on why the pelvic floor conversation isn't dealt with until there's a problem? Like why when women are pregnant, say, or during kind of teen health why aren't we educating women at that point into what the pelvic floor is and its role within its kind of day-to-day well I think the answer to this is massively multi-pronged because I think as a society we have an issue with preventing disease and disability in general there is a massive gender health gap between not only access to services, but services available and research done in women's health issues. And that that's pretty accepted now. And we speak about it a lot more. And also, I think where women and any individual don't feel like that there is a obvious answer, solution, something that they can predict that will happen when they come forward to their, for example, their fitness coach or a physio or a doctor then they're not necessarily going to ask. If we're not talking amongst ourselves about experience we've had visiting a healthcare professional and seeking help, then we're not necessarily going to think of that idea ourselves and then go and talk about it. You know, we all know if we see blood in our toothpaste spit, you know, that we probably need to go and see the dentist or think about, you know, buying a mouthwash and brushing more frequently. Or, you know, if you have blood in your poo, there are many health campaigns, public health campaigns that inform people on a broad scale about symptoms of disease or illness that they should be aware about. And we do those campaigns because we know we have systems in place to deal with those problems. With respect to pelvic health issues, We actually have a lot of information that isn't communicated. We know for sure that, for example, pelvic floor muscle exercises in most cases will be super helpful and effective in managing symptoms for women and not only women, men. And that's part of this conversation is that not only women will have these issues, but because of what we go through in our lives, generally, we will experience them more commonly. If we had that information communicated on a broader scale, more widely, I genuinely feel people would be talking about it more and coming forward to seek help. I don't think it's necessarily a problem with the way the system works at the moment. It's more about communicating um, on a wider scale and encouraging women to come forward. And that encouraging women to come forward, I couldn't believe it when I put out a call for this podcast on Instagram, just saying to the people that follow me, like, I'm doing this podcast on pelvic floor issues. Do you have any questions that you want me to put forward to the experts? Now, I had as many responses, if not more, to that question as I did when I put out the same about weight loss. And 
within this world, nothing ever really compares to the engagement and the questions you get around weight loss. And it's always the same questions. However, there was so many women that reached out through Instagram to put questions forward. I just couldn't believe that it's such a big issue for so many women, even though I know the stats, but we're all out there in isolation, worrying and wondering what we can do, but not seeking advice. With Umi, that was another big reason behind it because what we're putting out there, all the information on Umi, isn't ever to replace seeing a doctor or a physio or someone like that, but it's just that access point. And if it just helps women even get a bit more information about what they should have known already anyway, and then they can go on from there. Because we, we realize that it isn't an easy topic for everybody to talk about it. You know, I talk about it all day, every day, and you kind of it's easy to forget, I think, as a health professional who is submerged in that world, that actually, when you're the patient, you know, on the other side, it, it is really tricky to have that initial conversation. So that's what we really hope, actually, that UMI is really empowering for women to, yeah. you know, get a bit of that information that they need and then take it forward from there. And reduce fear, because it yeah. sounds like, you know, when you when you receive a number of questions like that on a sort of comment call it's it it just smacks of fear to me you know and that's what we found in in our work bringing umi forward is that women who do suffer symptoms have a lot of fear around them because again the answers aren't always readily available there is useful information out there it's not as scary as you think there is a lot of help around and we're here to just signpost and help really Helen, should we quickly talk through what are the signs and symptoms of when your pelvic floor strength does need working on, when it's an area of concern which we can improve upon? Yeah, so, well, the signs and symptoms that your pelvic floor may not be quite right. And so that could be on a weakness level. It could be on a tension level. Like a lot of women that I see actually through not wanting to leak or have prolapse, for example, would actually make their pelvic floor too tense without realizing. So range of movement and flexibility in the pelvic floor is as important as strength and power. But just in terms of like a general list of what I would see in clinic and what we hear online and everything else is that generally, if there's a prolapse going on, so when one of the pelvic organs is sitting a bit lower than what it would have done normally, then you'd have things like heaviness or dragging, sometimes pain, sometimes needing to go to the toilet twice quite quickly. So going for a week, but then needing to go back like after five minutes or not quite feeling that they're fully emptied. So that can be the bowels as well as the bladder. And then if you have lots of tension in the pelvic floor, then that can present predominantly due to pain, but not always. So that could be pain with penetration. So For example, like using a tampon or having a smear test can be really uncomfortable. I guess the most obvious one and the most common problem is then leaking. But leaking can happen not only from the bladder, but also from the bowels as well. So lots of women that I see and have seen over the years would have problem controlling their wind or needing to really urgently get to the toilet in time to pass stool or not making it to the toilet in time or having that kind of key in the door urgency that they just really need to get to the toilet really quickly so they would be the most common signs and symptoms basically of having the pelvic floor not quite as good as what we'd want it do hemorrhoids play into it at all yeah definitely 
So hemorrhoids are at its simplest form, like a symptom of too much pressure. And constipation and how we go for a poo is like a really, really, really important part of pelvic floor health. So nearly everybody I see in clinic, whether they've told me about their poo or not, they all get told how to poo properly. Because if we're sitting on the toilet and straining, then it makes us really high risk of prolapse and hemorrhoids and weakness in the pelvic floor, essentially. So yeah, it's all really, really related. So just just very briefly, <laughs> when we're on the toilet, we should all have our knees higher than our hips. So just get like a little step to put your feet on. And then we should all just be breathing into our tummy and just waiting for the poo to come out. You kind of have to think about it as a bit like hypno-pooing. So you're trying not to really push and bear down, but you're trying just to kind of let the poo come out. And in theory, everybody should be able to empty their bowels without straining. And that's really, really crucial to have a healthy pelvic floor. I have to say, I've got one of those squatty potty. Oh, they're fab. Excellent. And it came into the office. This was back in back in the old days when we were all in the office. And we have what's called a free table. So any samples that come in for stuff that we're not going to cover, always just go on this free table. And then what people don't take goes to charity. Anyway, this this stool was on the side. And um, it was really funny because there's a whole load of beauty products on there. There's like foundations, there's perfumes, there's all sorts of stuff. And then there's this stool. And I walked up with an unnamed beauty editor and she was like rooting through the stuff. And then I was looking at it and it was with a book about how to poo. And off (laughs) I walked with the poo and off she walked with three perfumes. (laughs) And it is funny because people come to my house and they're like, you don't have a toddler. Why have you got a step by your toilet so you can access your toilet easier but yeah it has made a difference to my bathroom experience along with doing the hypnobirthing and the mindful pooing yeah (laughs) and I think that that sort of thing that kind of basic information it you know you don't you don't need to even spend money on something you can find something around the house that does the job just fine and if we were all kind of getting into the habit of pooing in this way from sort of a young age it would just be second nature this is the kind of information we want to get mainstream and a lot of people tell me that once they start pooing like that it feels so much better it's so much more comfortable which makes sense because physiologically it's easier to go hey i'm ryan reynolds at Mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com ready to pop the question The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
So Elizabeth, we've obviously, we've mentioned like what to look out for in the pelvic floor, but can we just talk a little bit about why it is so key to exercise and why having a pelvic floor that functions properly is key to women moving well and moving more? Yeah, of course. So we've spoken about how the pelvic floor is part of the core. Pelvic floor is like our trap door that is going to help us managing that intra-abdominal pressure. If we think about the core as a canister, whenever we move, whatever we do, there's going to be intra-abdominal pressure. And that intra-abdominal pressure is going to change depending on what we're getting our bodies to do. So I like to get women conscious of their pelvic floor, not obsessing about it, not worrying about it, just being conscious that those muscles are there and that they're performing a really important task. So one of the things that I will get every client to do, whether they've had babies or not, whether they've got symptoms or not, is to understand what it feels like to bear down on your pelvic floor muscles. So what Helen has just described about straining on the loo that's that's a bear down. When we push down onto those muscles, that is a bearing down. So I will get women either on their own outside of the session or with me if they're comfortable through their clothes to put their fingers on their perineum and take a big cough. What they will often feel there is a pressure down. With that cough, there's an increase in intra-abdominal pressure and they'll feel a movement down onto their perineum. That's a bearing down. And what we want to do in our movement is not that, basically, in summary. So whatever we're doing, whether it's squatting, whether it's running, whether it's burpees, if you're aware of what that sensation is and you feel that, then try and do something different so that you're no longer doing that. That might be just changing your breath. So really making sure that the breath is moving, inhaling, exhaling, rather than just shallow chest breathing. And then you know that your movement is kind of incorporating the pelvic floor, that you're sort of being conscious of your pelvic floor. I generally won't get them squeezing their pelvic floor for every rep. I think there's a place for that, those kind of isolated squeezes. And then there's a place for movement that uses the breath. So the diaphragm and the pelvic floor can move together without kind of necessarily needing to activate your pelvic floor consciously for every squeeze. What about women who are concerned that their exercise routine is going to make their pelvic floor weaker? Should they be putting their exercise routine on hold whilst they strengthen their pelvic floor? Or can the two work together? Because there was a lot of women that messaged me to say they're really concerned that running is exacerbating their problems. With running, it's likely to be more complicated than simply a core and pelvic floor issue as well. You know, you've got to look at the whole chain. I think we can always focus right in on the pelvic floor, even, you know, as you were saying, forgetting its function within the core. Sometimes we focus on just the pelvic floor and say, okay, if you're getting symptoms, pull back a little, do your Kegels, then start reintroducing things. And I think that's just too superficial. And I think that's doing women a disservice. I think if you want to look at why you're getting symptoms whilst you're doing any movement at all, you need to look at the strength and function of that movement that you're doing and whether the entire chain of the body, so all the muscles, foot to core, 
are functioning in a way that would support the pelvic floor over distance and via impact. But certainly as a sport and exercise medicine physician, I would never look at a patient with symptoms, even if they are pelvic floor symptoms, they're still symptoms of dysfunction, of muscular dysfunction. So I'd never look at them in an isolated manner. They definitely need a full body sort of review in terms of running technique and underlying strength and endurance. So Amal, you've just mentioned that you're, it's, a, it's about looking at everything as a whole. That could almost feel a bit overwhelming to a lot of women, especially if you're not immersed in this world. If you're an everyday person and you're just looking to go out and to get a bit fitter and feel a bit better about yourself, and that is through exercise and a healthy routine, how can people start to look at things a little bit more as a whole or seek information or is there a way that that can be dialed down so they can do it in bite-sized chunks yeah and I I totally get how it can be overwhelming and I think sometimes it's easier to think of people as fitting into either the fitness bracket or the sort of non-fitness bracket in terms of how you approach a conversation with them about fitness and, and strength training but I do believe that it is important for anyone who is considering running to be in a physical state that will support that movement so that they reduce their risk of injury and dysfunction, whatever that is, whether, whether it be pelvic floor dysfunction or another, another type of injury. And I would, I would class them as a very similar thing. I think anyone who is looking to run needs to be able to sustain impact to their musculoskeletal system. They need to be able to transfer forces from the floor through the pelvis into the core and then manage that pressure when it does reach that area of the body. So, of course, naturally, I would just say, you know, build up slowly. Don't put too much pressure on yourself do something like couch to 5k. And if you are finding the progression of couch to 5k too fast, slow it down, you know, do one week over two weeks, whatever you can manage. But also alongside that, do some basic strength training just to help support your muscles in their job when they're doing the tasks you're asking them to. And of course, with the pelvic floor and core is to remember breathing, is to remember the tummy on the pelvic floor itself. You know, breathing is one of those really important things that you can do when you run. So not going too fast, you know, taking it at a speed that you can maintain those diaphragmatic breaths to let the pelvic floor do what it does. Elizabeth, is there anything that you do with clients to try and help like bulletproof their body in that way? Like, do you have a like a return to running kind of set of rules for women? Amala's just mentioned strength training. And I and obviously I'm very much into into that. But I still think a lot of women will skip doing strength training to go out on another 5k. In terms of bulletproofing for running, things that I have found make a massive difference for women in terms of pelvic health. Relax your tummy. Sometimes a slight forward lean from the ankle while they run can be really helpful. More hip extension, getting the glutes involved in the party. A lot of women run sort of bolt upright. And just thinking about getting that rib cage over the pelvis to keep that core canister intact can be a game changer in seconds for a lot of women. Oh my God, I no longer feel like I'm going to leak. And the third thing I would say actually is stop thinking about the pelvic floor. 
So a lot of women who come to me are terrified of running. They're seriously terrified because maybe they have leaked during a run. When you are terrified, you tense up. And when you tense up, that might increase intra-abdominal pressure straight off the bat. And if you're tensed up through your body, your pelvic floor muscles might be tensed up as well. So I try and encourage them to get your mind off your pelvic floor because it it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So Helen, you mentioned earlier on the Kegel exercise and it's thinking about stopping wind. I recently downloaded the Squeezy app because as I said, I didn't realise that I'd had uh, almost a a weak pelvic floor until I got pregnant. And now I've got a child using what seems to be my pelvic floor as a mini trampoline most days. <laughs> um, but I downloaded the Squeezy app and it's telling me to do my exercises three times a day. Now, I'm quite diligent with a lot of my health and wellness routine, but I'm still not doing it three times a day. I am silencing those notifications. I'm like, you're getting it once a day. I mean, I know that's not what you want to hear, but like as women, what should we be doing to strengthen our pelvic floor? Is there a minimum? Is the Kegel exercises three times a day really the minimum? Well, I wish I could say no, but basically, yeah, like the NICE guidelines and all of the research and evidence does tell us that if you have any symptoms, for example, leaking or heaviness, dragging, prolapse type stuff, then we should be doing the squeezes kind of eight to 12 reps three times a day. And I'd say in clinic, that's probably the thing I see the most is that women just don't do enough because even at that amount, which I really appreciate sounds like such a lot, especially when when you're not used to doing something so frequently every single day, but even at that amount, so just say on average 10 squeezes three times a day, it still takes on average about three to six months to see really big strength changes. I think it's about trying to somehow fit it into your day. Like, I would also try and do maybe two or three before I leave the toilet. So if I've gone for a wee or gone for a poo, then I'm sitting there and I'll just do like two or three squeezes before I leave. Or I'll try and do someone I'm brushing my teeth. So Mm. trying to somehow kind of break them down so that I might only do five short and five long in one go, but I'm just trying to then do them throughout the day. And obviously now being pregnant myself, I have had to up the amount that I'm doing You've just mentioned two things there because I'm very confused about this. So why do we need to have both the almost like the short set and the long set? So you've got like your hip hip pelvic floor and then you've got your Ah! endurance pelvic floor. (laughs) Exactly that. Exactly that. It is. And they're both exactly, exactly the same thing apart from how long you hold them for. So the short ones, you just squeeze from the back passage, you get that tightening and lift sensation, and then you fully let go. And then the long ones, you're aiming for 10 seconds. And I think, well, you, you have to have the difference, basically, because the short ones give you more power, and they that gives you more speed and reactiveness. And then the long ones give you more endurance. So for example, making it to the toilet in time, or when you're going on your longer runs, then the, the difference in the two, the short and the long, are really complementary and really important. Because again, I would see a lot of women maybe doing only their short ones because they're a bit quicker and easier to get done. <laughs> but the long ones are really, really crucial as well. 
Um, so yeah, they're both equally as important as each other. And like, if I'm seeing patients, for example, who are leaking with running, then I'll say to them that their aim is to basically get to do their 10 second holds in standing really easily. So another kind of top tip, if you like, is to make sure that you get to the point that you can do them in standing, because often women will do them lying down to begin with. And that's absolutely perfect. It's the easiest way to do them. But then we have to eventually progress you to sitting and then to standing to have the full kind of benefits of them. And then what's really fun after that, because I know you love a challenge, Amy, is to mix it up a bit. Like once you can do 10 reps for 10 seconds in standing, mix up your foot position, go wide stance, go staggered stance, do them on one leg. Like it's just so interesting to see, oh, I've changed my position and that connection feels a bit different there. So I'm going to try them in that position. At the beginning, obviously, we mentioned that women of all ages should be doing them and life stages. Does what we do over those years, so if we're talking about women from, say, teens, I mean, should teens be doing them up until, like, you know, women in their 70s doing their Kegels, does what they do every day, should that change? Or is it a case of that we should all be doing these three sets of 8 to 12 reps with the short and the long um, exercises? Yeah, so the three sets of 8 to 12 are really only if you have symptoms. Right. So if you have symptoms such as leaking or prolapse, then that's the amount that is recommended to do. If you don't have symptoms and you want to keep it that way, then we recommend just doing literally a handful a day. And that that really does apply to everybody. So we would love every single person, like, and if you have any daughters, and you know, we want the conversation starting as young as possible to normalize it as much as possible. But then also, you know, as we get a bit older, like I have ladies in clinic in their 80s, and they're still getting better. You know, it's really, it's almost never too early or never too late to begin to be conscious of our pelvic health. And if you don't have any pelvic floor symptoms, then just doing like, three to five short and three to five long per day is enough to kind of maintain pelvic floor health basically and just to add another really important top tip I know we keep mentioning about flexibility of the pelvic floor and if you're not quite sure if your pelvic floor is fully letting go in between each rep then just take a big breath in because like we've been saying the diaphragm is connected to the pelvic floor so if you do your squeeze to tighten and lift from the back passage let go again, and then take a big breath in, breathe out, and then do your next rep, then that's kind of like your safety net to make sure that it's fully let go and that you're not going to be then harboring any tension. Amal, obviously, if women are doing all of this kind of like pelvic floor hygiene on a daily basis and they do still have symptoms, how do you suggest that women open up the conversation with their medical professional So I think the first thing to do is if you've had symptoms, you've been doing your pelvic floor muscle exercises for three months, which is the NICE guidance, first line management, I would go to your GP and explain that. Do not feel embarrassed about bringing it up. You know, obstetrics and gynecology is one of the key modules at medical school, and it is an absolutely common thread of general practice. So go into that room. It doesn't matter who it is or as it is nowadays, you know, pick up the telephone and book a telephone appointment to discuss this with your GP. It may not be an urgent appointment. 
You might have to be okay with waiting a few days um, to speak to somebody, but that's a very simple conversation to have with your GP. What they will do is usually, you know, a lot of GPs would be comfortable and well-practiced at internal examinations to screen for certain things if they felt that it was appropriate to do or they would examine you otherwise. I genuinely would encourage anyone who is struggling with symptoms to just pick up the phone because it's a very normal conversation. Fab. I can't believe we're coming to the end of this podcast because there is so much more that I wanted to ask you guys and to go into. I've got time for one more question. So let's let's ask it to all three of you. When it comes to the pelvic floor, what is the one thing that you wish all of the welfare listeners would start doing today to to improve their pelvic floor health? Stop sucking your tummy in. Even if you've got period bloat, even if you're self-conscious of your tummy, please stop sucking your tummy in because your pelvic floor will thank you for not sending all this pressure down by being constantly sucked in. Yeah, and I think I would say very related to that, take deep breaths. Like our diaphragm and pelvic floor are a bit like a puppet on a string. And if your diaphragm's not moving up and down, the pelvic floor can't move up and down. And especially for something like running, the pelvic floor has to have that ability to absorb impact and move as we go. So I would say definitely, like as Elizabeth just said, let your tummy go and also breathe with your diaphragm. Don't fear movement. If you're having symptoms go and see your GP, pick up the phone. You don't have to pay for a pelvic health physiotherapy appointment. There are appointments available on the NHS. You just have to ask if you need one. And if you're struggling in the meantime, please check out our free course, Essentials by Umi. You just need to sign up as a free member to our website and we will give you all the basics for free. And guys, I do have to say that I've been on and I binge watched a lot of the videos in bed the other night. So I went to bed with you three, um, (laughs) which now sounds very odd. Um, But I do have to say it's fantastic information because it is in bite sized videos. So you can go on and you can invest like three minutes a day or if you want to like back to back them they're they're all there. So if you are a runner who has been put off moving more and fearing exercise, like Amal just said because you are suffering from leaking or sprinting to the loo or constantly checking the crotch of your leggings like life doesn't life doesn't have to be like that so please please pop over and check out Yumi Health and thank you to everyone who sent in questions that really informed this show I really really appreciated your honesty and and just sharing on Instagram it really helped me and put all these questions together and if you do start doing your kegels every day which I hope you do. If not, Helen, Amal and Elizabeth are going to come after you. Um, Why not tag us in on Instagram? I will make sure that in the show notes for here, you can find all of everyone's info. um, So you can start following them and binging on all the information that I have. So thanks very much, Wildfire listeners. And thanks, ladies. And I will speak to everyone next week. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. team thank you so much for listening if you like this episode please do rate review and subscribe it really helps other runners in need of some help find the show and join our community too don't forget to use hashtag welfare on all your ig posts because i love seeing them 
Thanks very much, guys. <laughs>